Some early preseason thoughts on Yuri Slavkovsky versus Shane Wright. We'll answer some mailback questions and then finish things off with a game review of the Montreal Canadiens preseason game. All coming up on today's episode of Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh, joined by Sebastian High, and we've got a packed episode for you today. Lots of Habs talk. Uh, we're going to talk about some Montreal Canadiens prospects. First and foremost, look at Yuri Slavkovsky versus Shane Wright. Um, two of the top picks in the 2022 NHL draft. We'll look at them side by side so far, look at the preseason games that we've watched and give you some impressions we've had from them so far and how their development's going respectively. Uh, We'll also answer some mailbag questions in our second segment, so make sure to stick around for that. We've got some interesting questions that were sent in. And then finally, uh, we'll close things off with our preseason thoughts on uh, the Montreal Canadiens game um, that just occurred yesterday as time of recording this against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, We'll talk about what happened there. Uh, But before I get into any of that, just make sure to like and subscribe Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform. Make sure to make us your first listen of the day. Also, leave us a comment. We always leave our best comments and questions for the mailbag episode. So make sure to send those in. We see all of them. Very much appreciated. So we'll start things off with Yuri Slavkovsky versus Shane Wright. This is an interesting conversation because it was a huge talking point at the time of the draft. And Neither one of them really stuck properly to the NHL in their draft year. We uh, we saw Yaroslavkovsky kind of go in and out of the lineup, um, got injured at the end of the year, um, and and you know wasn't it wasn't the best you know first season for a player of you know his caliber and his abilities. Um, but the same can be said for Shane Wright. He played uh, eight games for the Seattle Kraken, wasn't really able to make a strong impact. Went down to the AHL for conditioning and played very well. Um, and then was sent back to the OHL and dominated that level as we knew he would i mean he's just he's got that ability right so first and foremost what's your impressions on you know we'll get to the preseason in a second but what's your impressions on their draft plus one year how it went and respectively has that changed anything in your kind of in your impressions of them but also your your projections of their games i think both players would have uh really benefited from a full season in the ahl uh, yeah. Shane Wright wasn't able to do that because of the CHL and NHL agreement, uh, mm-hmm. which thankfully they made a little exception for this for this upcoming season that he's able to also play in the AHL if need be. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Slavkovsky, he was eligible for the AHL, but the Habs uh, did not think that that was the right course of action. And I was quite critical of that at the time, and perhaps even more so in retrospect. Uh, these are both players that, for very different reasons, needed a stepping stone to adapt to the NHL. Yeah. With Shane Wright, it was about learning how to use his tools to really create advantages against professional competition. Mm-hmm. And with Slavkovsky, it was, on the one hand, to adjust to the North American ice surface, and on the other hand, to learn to play at the pace of the North American professional game which was a really, really big problem and led to a lot of injuries for Slavkovsky throughout his yep. rookie season, uh, where he was really never really pre-scanning when he was getting the puck, whether it was a loose puck in open ice or receiving a pass. He would so rarely scan for threats, and then he'd look up once he ha- has the puck on his stick and gets absolutely wrecked and hit. And mm-hmm. 
was really, really taking a toll on his body. And there's a reason he only played half a season with the Habs. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think as for their projections, I, I wouldn't say too, too much has changed since their draft years, but mm -hmm. other players from that, from that draft class have progressed at a far faster rate than those two have. I'm thinking mm -hmm. of guys like Logan Cooley and David Yerichek, but yeah, I think both players are still projected to be really impactful top six pieces mm -hmm. with Slavkovsky. The scanning habits are still a really, really big thing that need fixing immediately. And I'd still be a fan of sending him down to Laval to start off the season this year because he still needs it from what I've seen in that first preseason game. Yeah. And as for Shane Wright, I think he needs to play where he's going to get minutes and getting opportunities. And if he's able to do that in Seattle, I think that's perfectly fine and acceptable for him and his development. But I think the AHL might be a decent place to start to uh, just to start the year because he really was playing very well uh, uh, for what um, Coachella Valley in the AHL last season. So yep. uh, I think the projections are, are, are relatively unchanged as of now. I think one year is, is not quite enough to drastically sh shift projections like that, mm -hmm. but both players need a, a little bit of catching up to do this year for sure. No, it makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, when we look at Slavkovsky, I mean, you mentioned the, the pre-scanning, you know, being something that needs to incorporate into this game. And I can't stress enough how important this is. If you're a young hockey player trying to kind of make a name out for yourself, it's so important to pre-scan because if you're trying to figure out what you want to do next at the pro level after getting the puck, you're five steps behind everyone in terms of your decision-making process. Your pre-scanning will allow you to know what the next step is once you get the puck. You don't have to figure it out once you receive the puck. A lot of players mm. play the game step-by-step. Step. So, you know, look down at the puck, make sure your stick is well-positioned, collect the puck, then look up, then evaluate your options, then make the pass. All that happens simultaneously at the NHL level if you want to be a good player. You know, you watch all yeah. the best players, and that's what they do is – before they get the puck, they know exactly what the next steps are, what the, where their options are, and all that is pre-scanning. All that is knowing exactly where your players are, and the only way to do that is to keep your head on the swivel and make sure you know what's going on around you, and to have the confidence to get to keep to take your eye off the puck for a second, and then evaluate your options quickly, then look back down and get the puck. That's that's the best thing that you know Sofkosi can do to improve his game. Um, but there are also some fundamental elements in this game that are still missing. You know, he's crowding the short side. He's um, th this was an issue in his draft year, and it's continued so far. Um, he lacks he lacks composure with the puck on his stick too, which is in large part because he's not pre scanning, and he is quite tense when he has the puck because yep. there's always he doesn't know what's happening from every side. Exactly. Uh, what one thing that was a little bit concerning to me while watching the first preseason game was that he had the exact same habit where he basically gets the puck, uh, rushes into the offensive zone, does a little, little like, like shoulder shift and just like throws the puck towards the net. But he does it while well, trying to split the D and does it from like above the hash marks right in the middle like of the high slot. And it always gets deflected off target. Like he's he's always trying to get get pucks towards the net, but such a low percentage of them, of them actually make their way on target because yeah. everything he's doing would work against junior competition with his build and with his tools, but there's no chance of it working at the NHL level. And there's just this, this trial and error of the exact same play over and over again. That yep. was very prevalent last season as a rookie. And I still saw it like two or three times in that preseason game, which is a little bit concerning because that's 
one of those habits that you'd hope a development team would kind of try to iron out pretty quickly. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's definitely still quite raw. And we knew this when the Habs drafted him. This was always going to be a long-term project. But mm-hmm. after acknowledging that it was a long-term project out on the draft floor, they've been treating him like a... Like an a, NHL a slam player. NHL player, right? Yeah, and exactly. he's not it's... that yet. And that's fine. But you mm-hmm. knew that when you picked him. And they had to be more patient with him, in my view. And uh, mm-hmm. giving him some time in Laval just to, like, find his footing. You can even play him with, with Philip Machar, right? Like, yep. you have a, an isolated one-two punch there and add in a veteran center to, to, to help ease their load. But, like... It's not happening. Yeah, and there, yeah, there's it's a lot a of fundamentals thing. left. Oh, it, it, yeah. it won't happen, which is frustrating from a development yeah. perspective, because I really do think it would benefit Sikorsky so much in the long run, even just mm-hmm. half a season in Laval. No, absolutely. And, you know, you compare that with Shane Wright, who for me is fundamentally an opposite player to Slavkovsky, where Slavkovsky's mm. physical tools are really developed and um, he has all the the kind of physical attributes and um, even some of the puck skills are refined for his age. You look at Shane Wright, uh, you look at him compared to Shane Wright, it's, you know, the issue with Slavkovsky is the fundamentals, but he has the tools. With Wright, is the opposite. All the fundamentals, he does all the little things right. He pre-scans, he evaluates his options, he looks ahead of plays, he plays into space, he absorbs contact and 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 plays through it. Um, but the tools haven't caught up. He's still a bit sluggish, a bit slow, not as agile of a player. Um, his edge work isn't on point, that kind of stuff. But overall, I'd rather have a player with the, the foundation set up and then kind of stack bricks on top of that rather than have to build from the top down. And that's kind of what's happening with Slavkovsky right now. And again, if he's a long-term project, treat, them, treat him as that. He needs to develop those fundamentals. He's not going to develop them at the NHL level when he's getting trucked every three games. It's not going to happen. Um, speaking of which, he got he got hit in the last minutes of the of the game against the New Jersey Devils, um, the, the preseason game against the New Jersey Devils, and immediately headed to, a, to, to, the, to the locker room and brought a, brought a trash can with him. He seemed like he was... Uh, physically ill. I think he lost a tooth or something. Um, but yeah, it was again a situation where he he threw himself into a puck battle and got trucked hard because he approached it in a way that wasn't ideal. Um, so the development paths are concerning. I'm a bit more confident in Wright's kind of progression. This is not even taking into consideration Logan Cooley, who you know, if we're being oh, honest, yeah. out of these players was is is really looking like the best player in this in the, in the 2022 draft. And if you're a Habs fan, don't kid yourself. The conversation was always between Zolkovsky and Wright. Rarely anybody was considering Cooley in that conversation, including us. Um, so yeah, it's 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 the type of situation where you look at both of them, you look at their progressions, and it, it's it's looking a bit bleak in Slavkovsky's kind of um, situation, especially with the way he's being deployed and the way he's being utilized, but. Um, I'm fairly confident that at the end of the day, Slavkovsky will develop these tools. I just don't think that they'll develop to the extent that they would have if he had spent the entirety of last year in Laval um, or back in Slovakia or, or in Finland, developing his game and improving it and, and, and working on these things in, in situations where it's not going to lead to major injuries. Um, you know, yeah. that, that that's the worry for me with Slavkovsky. But that wraps things up for, to, for this first segment. We'll answer some mailback questions from our listeners that were sent in on Twitter um, very soon. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor for today's episode. So DoorDash is a great option. Personally, I, I love using DoorDash uh, to order, whether it's groceries or just your Sunday, your lazy Sunday kind of uh, McDonald's, that kind of stuff. If you're feeling... Um, 
kind of down if you're feeling low and you need something to order quickly uh that'll get to your door very fast doordash is a fantastic option um i i use them regularly as someone who works from home and doesn't always have the time to cook um a lot of the times i end up using um delivery services in order to help me out with um a quick meal on my break that kind of stuff and of the delivery services I've used, I've, I've the only one that's stuck and that I've continued to use is DoorDash. Um, they're they're really reliable. They're really quick. Um, their service is excellent. You very rarely get issues with their deliveries. Their instructions are very clear. The delivery drivers read the instructions, know exactly where to drop off your food. Um, and on top of that, if you have an issue with your delivery, which is quite rare to start with, they solve it very quickly. Um, I, I love the convenience of just getting what you want right to your door. Um, and, and not having to worry too much about, you know, the delivery driver putting it down at the wrong address or that kind of stuff. I, I, I know for sure that their instructions are very clear, which isn't the case for other delivery service. I can tell you that from experience. Um, but you can get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use the code LOCKED at checkout. It's a limited time offer. Uh, terms apply. That's 50% off your uh, $20 minimum so subtotal and um, zero delivery fees on your first order. All you have to do is just do download the DoorDash app and use a code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, on your first uh, purchase on, um, on their application. So don't forget that's code LOCKED for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. Check them out. All right, so moving on to our second segment where we answer some mailback questions from our listeners. We got uh, a, a decent handful of them, so we'll go through them a bit. There's some interesting questions that we can kind of expand on and discuss in detail, so uh, make sure to stick around to the end there. So I'll start with one question here that I, I, I like uh, fairly well. Um, it's from Don Baina on Twitter. He asks, who is or are the prospects that you, you were the most wrong about? And conversely, which prospects did you have faith in when others doubted them? Um, I found that fairly interesting because I, I know a lot more prospects that I was wrong about that uh, we can talk about and expand in detail. Um, there are a couple examples of players I feel like I was very right about and ended up being kind of uh, vindicated by that. But we'll, we'll start with the players we were wrong about. For me, first and foremost, so far, it's been uh, Francesco Pinelli. He was pretty. Um, he's probably my first mistake as a scout. Um, I put a lot of high end emphasis on intelligence. And I quickly realized that with intelligence, the thing is, it if you have the choice between a player who has all the puck skills in the world but no smarts, and all the smarts in the world but no puck skills, it's actually a tough decision. You know, I, I used to tend to say, oh, I, I'd go with the guy with the hockey sense all day, but... What's the point of reading the game ahead of ahead of players if your your shots are fluttering on net and are never going to go in? If your passes are going wide, if you're you're not able to skate or or battle in uh, along the boards at, at a pro level, your intelligence is kind of going to waste in that situation. Don't you agree? Yeah, fully agreed. I, I think that it's really important for players to have the tools to be able to exploit the holes that they are able to find and create. And especially at the NHL level, you really need those tools because those openings that you're able to create with a faster processor and, and mm -hmm. other like hockey IQ advantages, mm -hmm. even then the like the holes you create and the time you create is so small that you yep. need to be able to exploit it immediately with a mm -hmm. very, very high-end tool. And 
players that lack that really struggle to really entrench themselves in those types of roles, or they have to adapt their games to to be dangerous in different ways that they didn't have to do previously. Yeah. So often you see players with a, a, a really really high end IQs be able to adapt to those changes and and mm-hmm. adapt their games to to best be able to still exploit those openings. Mm-hmm. But I, I think for for me for for my answer here. I think most wrong about uh, it's a bit of a tough one. I I think I'll go with uh, Owen Power on this in 2021. I overcompensated a little bit in that. I I, I saw Owen Power as a, as a player who struggled a lot in his own zone as a, as a draft eligible and. Uh, I think that was a big thing for me where I was like, well, a lot of people are kind of <laughs> looking over this and not, not, not really focusing on the big issues that he still has in his game. Yeah. But in doing so, I also minimized just the level of the offensive game and, mm-hmm. and his intelligence to be able to fix the defensive woes. And he's come mm-hmm. quite a long way in the last couple seasons uh, to address those. And the offensive game has just continued to pop at every level. So yeah. I, I think looking back, I think I had him ranked like seventh overall or something. I, okay. Yeah, seventh overall. I was just very, very low. Uh, as for the player that, I'm, that I stuck by the most, uh, easy one for me, Lane Hudson. I was going to say. Seventh overall, had to. <laughs> like, like th- this is the one, the one thing where, like, in 2022, I really planted my flag in this player. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, by ranking him ahead of a guy like Matthew Savoy and just one slot behind Simon Niemetz, I was taking a bit of a risk in terms of like if that did not work out, that would be a bit of a glaring issue in my ranking. Uh, yeah, in hindsight, but I believed in Hudson so much that my only regret looking backwards is not going with my heart and keeping him inside the top ten. So mm-hmm. uh, Lane Hudson is is one player that I'm quite proud of with my my take in in the actual draft year. Yeah, for sure. Um, mine would probably be uh, Logan Stankoven. Um, I was one of the very early big, big fans of Stankoven. Um, I remember talking about him in October as a first rounder and getting uh, getting DMs from from fellow scouts being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, just wait, just wait, you'll see. Uh, and by the end of the year, he was on everyone's first round. Um, and he still slipped to the second somehow. Uh, I wonder why. Maybe it has something to do with the size, but uh, <laughs> he's... He's an amazing, amazing player. Um, the the goal scoring ability, the intensity. He's he's a dog on the bone, all game, every game. Um, his his intensity never wavers, never changes at all. He constantly hunts down players, outworks them, outfights them, outspeeds them, and has high end puck skills and some of the best decision making I've seen out of a winger overall um, in, in my in my recent years of scouting. So it's just. For me, that was the player that I would say I planted my flag in very early and stuck by him. Um, maybe I'd also add, um, maybe I'd also had uh, Luke Hughes in that conversation because Luke Hughes I had second overall in this draft year, and just like you, I was a bit lower on Owen Power in that draft year. I had him below Luke Hughes, but I still think that having Luke Hughes in that top two was a good decision in hindsight because you're looking at him right now as a a very good player who is set to take over a contender's top power play eventually in the next couple of years. Yeah. So it, it's, it's been good for me. And I, I listened to his brothers, Jack Hughes and, and Quinn Hughes were talking about how Luke was probably the best out of the three. I don't know about that yet, but um, yeah. time will tell with that. I'm, I'm fairly confident in his combination of skating range uh, and offensive skill and intelligence. He's one of the smartest 
offensive players I've ever seen, really. Um, he's up there with Lane Hudson in terms of pure smarts, but he has high-end, insanely good tools to com- to complement that, whereas Hudson's skating is kind of, eh, his, you know, he's got decent top speed, his mobility, his, his, his lateral mobility, and especially his, his backward skating and, and pivoting is, is rough, whereas that's Luke Hughes' strength, as he's one of the best skaters ever, really. The fluidity on him and the way that he skates effortlessly is just ridiculous to watch. Um, but yeah, those are the players that kind of we can talk about um, as as players we either overlooked or planted our flag in and ended up being right or wrong. Um, but one more question here from uh, one of our listeners here. We'll go for um, we'll go for Anthony Vincenzo who asks dark horses to make the team on opening night. We're not sure what team is being discussed here. We're going to assume assuming the house. exactly. Yeah. I think that, and call me crazy, but um, I think Xavier Simonon might very well start the year on the fourth line, and I'd be very happy with this. There's no space. Have is there no slots open. Listen, I mean, Yola also... Mia is having a stinker, and I don't think Martin, Martin Saidoui is going to stand for that much longer. So I think that that's, that's a slot that Xavier Simonon can easily take, and it's just a okay. matter of where he builds from there. I mean, I, I've fully believed in this player from day one and in, in last in, in that last game against the New Jersey Devils, he proved me right. Um fantastic assist to Joshua Roy and looked really, really, really good. He took a penalty which led to a goal, but I mean with Jack Hughes on their power play, any penalty is gonna end up in your net if you're playing yeah. a, a, a decor whose youngest player was twenty three. Uh that was funny for the Habs. But oldest, yeah, no that's I my assume, guy. Right? Yeah. The, the oldest player. Not, not Jordan Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the oldest. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm also going to go with a forward here. I'm going to go with Joshua Roy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a player who can adapt to basically any line and mm-hmm. play a very, very effective role. I think that versatility is going to be really intriguing and enticing for the Habs. Yeah. And he's also been the standout for me throughout rookie camp and the first preseason game for the Montreal Canadiens as a player who uh, is really making the most of every situation he's in. He's making every line he's on better. Mm-hmm. And uh, his ability to play down the middle and on the wing, I think, is really, really nice. And especially when you pair that with like other players, perhaps not quite living up to the expectations just yet, like Jesse Yelonen yeah. or Sean Farrell, mm-hmm. both are looking more like AHLers and NHLers so far in preseason. Yeah. And Joshua Hua is uh, looking a couple steps ahead of both. So... Uh, I, I think he might have a, ch- a shot at making the Habs lineup. And that's not even taken into consideration Owen Beck, who has looked like a veteran so far. I mean, he, yeah. he, he's of, of the of the guys you mentioned, I feel like he's the least kind of dark horse because you can clearly see a pathway to the to the bottom six for him in, in this upcoming year. But um, Joshua was a very good one. I am I'm decently impressed by what he's been doing so far. His physical tools, his, his adaptability, his versatility is so good that I think he has a really good shot. Um, but that's our second segment with our ma- mailback questions. I'll move on to our final segment where we'll look at a uh, preseason game review for the Montreal Canadiens against the New Jersey Devils. We'll come uh, we'll come up to that after these messages on Locked on NHL Prospects. All right, so to end things off, we'll look at a game review for the Montreal Canadiens against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, the game ended, I believe, 4-2 in favor of the Devils. Um, with uh, Jack Hughes leading the show, that's what happens when you stick Jack Hughes uh, in, in on your top line against a decor whose oldest player was 23 years old, and Jordan Harris. Uh, very interesting game. Um, but we'll, we'll focus on the Canadians players because they played a lot of prospects in this game, whereas the Devils didn't as much. They had Nemitz in there. They had Graham Clark, who was 
playing a decent game. And I think Nemes had a, a, a bit of a, an off show, even though he scored a very, very strange goal um, <laughs> on the power play, dumped it in. Yeah. It, it bumped off of Mont, uh, Samuel Maltambo's uh, stick and then his back and then went in the back of the net uh, on the power play. That was pretty fun. Um, but we'll talk a bit. Let's start with the fours here. So some standouts on your end. Um, talk me through kind of the players who stood out to you. I mean, we obviously talked about Joshua Ross. So maybe you can start. Yeah. There. I thought he was the Habs' best player in this game, actually. I thought yeah. shift to shift, he was always making a positive impact. Uh, I was really impressed with his play on the power play as well. I thought he was one of, one of the more composed and confident Habs rookies with the man advantage. Uh, he was always making decisive plays and creating space for himself and physically yeah. standing up to professional players on the other side. So he was very impressive. I thought Josh Anderson had a tremendous game uh, because... Did. I think the situation really benefited him. Not only that the rest of the Habs lineup was mainly rookies, but the mm -hmm. fact that there was no chemistry to be told of yet. Yeah. And Josh Anderson doesn't really have chemistry with players. So it really benefited him. He was just like going Rambo mode on his own because that's what he yep. usually does anyway. Exactly. So does Josh Anderson even need chemistry? Yeah, he was in mid-season like, form. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I thought Alex Newhook played really, really well. Uh, mm -hmm. His pass on the Anderson goal uh, was excellent uh, where... He evaded pressure along the boards and then whipped the pass right onto the stick of David Reinbacher on the far side and mm -hmm. really created that that opportunity for the Habs. Mm -hmm. uh, as for like more of the young guns, uh, I, I thought that Simonou played a very, very strong game as well. Uh, I, thought, I thought Slavkovsky was uh, hit and miss in, in that game. That, there were yeah. a couple <laughs> nice plays, but yeah, hit and miss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, any other forwards that caught your eye specifically? Owen Beck for sure. I mean, he, he yeah, was in the conversation yeah, yeah, for me. I mean, he he played a veterans game. I think it, it was sixty percent in the dot as well, which is very I think impressive. It was like Seventy five or something. He, some ridiculous like that. He super hot. He played a really good game. We we mentioned Jesse Ulanen as a player who's kind of running out of time at this point. I mean, he's he's still struggling to show how impactful he can be, and I don't think he's really playing to strengths, which is kind of hurting him a bit. Um, outside of that, for forwards, uh, that that pretty much wraps it up. But for defensemen, I think I, I have a bit more scouting notes on the, on there. So. First yeah. of all, with David Reinbacher, he showcased exactly what he was advertised as, um, at least in the scouting sphere, because some people think he's a second coming of Moritz Sider. Let's 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 hit the brakes on that. Um, but just a fantastic offensive zone activator. He's not really the type of player who's going to carry the puck to the slot himself. But when his teammates have the puck, he's constantly rovering, finding space in the offensive zone to kind of pinch and hit a pocket of space with just the right speed differential in order to make uh, make a good play. And that's what led to the goal uh, for Josh Anderson yeah. on the second goal. Alex Newhook identified that that Reinbacher was activating on on the far side, found him cross iced and Reinbacher zipped the pass to the front. A couple attempts, Josh Anderson shoved it in. Um, that's what I want to see from Ryan Bucker is to continue to activate and show the confidence to to hit the offensive zone with speed and and, and make some great plays from the blue line. Um, other than that, Logan Mayu, I felt had um, in terms of tools a good game. Uh, took some great shots, was very confident with the puck, but to a fault at times. I mean, his decision making continues to be my biggest concern for him, and it's it's quite a headache. At, at one point on the penalty kill. He gets the puck, skates it up the opposite blue line. I'm thinking, okay, dump it in, get back. Jack Hughes is on the ice. He tries a deke, loses a puck. The puck goes to the corner. He starts forechecking as a defenseman on the PK. And that alone's a mistake. But when you factor in the fact that the, the player who had the puck in the corner was Jack Hughes, it's even more of a mistake. Jack Hughes cuts across him and starts skating up the ice. Mayu's draped on his back the whole time, but can't do anything because it's Jack freaking Hughes. Um, and then one cut back, a deke, a pass, it's a goal. 
um, that was one thing that, and it was recurrent. It wasn't just that that one example. It was multiple examples of him in the defensive zone, either losing his check or not scanning. Yeah. It was a headache. Um, I'm also concerned with Justin Barron's decision making. Um, it's a bit concerning for me as well. He made some really tough decisions, pretty much the same as Logan Mayu in terms of like the the good tools with bad decision making type of profile of defenseman. Um, other than that, though, Caden yeah. Gooley was an assistant captain in this game, played that role very well. Uh, Arbor Jack sure. was punishing as usual. Uh, Jordan Harris was smart as usual. I mean, the defense core was good outside of those two right-handed defensemen. I, I feel like yeah. even though Mayu had a good game overall in terms of what he did offensively, everything heading back his way, especially rush defending, especially the decision-making in all three zones, was rough. Yeah, like I I had a tough time with Mayu's game yesterday. I saw a lot of people raving about it, but... Mm-hmm. I think the more you watch Mayu, the more you see that like what looks on the surface as a rough game where where perhaps the tools are on display, but the decision making seemed a bit off, where that seems like a perhaps a like far from the norm with Mayu is mm-hmm. not really how I see it. That's kind mm-hmm. of just the way that Mayu plays the game of hockey, and I haven't seen much change in that in the last yeah. couple of seasons. One of my one of my, my big concerns in the preseason game was specifically on retrievals and in breakout. The composure on the puck is also a real concern for me. For a player with my use toolkit, he has all the abilities to, to problem solve. And mm-hmm. even against like single variable pressure uh, on retrievals, he was deer in the headlights freezing, uh, caught the puck behind his own net uh, multiple yep. times in the game. And it's the and same issue with Slavkovsky. I mean, it's the exact same issue. The lack of pre-scanning I, is killing him. Yeah, I, I think pre-scanning is a thing. I think with Slavkovsky, when he does pre-scan, he makes a mental map of the ice, which <laughs> is not something I've ever really seen Mayu do, and that's an important difference for me in projections for the two players. Yeah, But but at the same time, look, Mayu, Mayu showcased his booming shot. Uh, at the end of the game, he took like three massive shots in the so last it was like, like 20 six. seconds. Yeah, they all missed the net, but yeah. like they're booming shots. The decision making of when to shoot and where to shoot from still is definitely a work in progress. Mm-hmm. I can see why some half fans are very excited for Mayu, but my projection for him remains the same. Of like, this could be an offensive defenseman uh, who can quarterback a second power play, uh, mm-hmm. but at even strength, I'd be a bit hesitant to play him anywhere near the top four. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I still haven't changed my kind of projection of kind of a bigger, faster, but less skillful uh, Tony D'Angelo. He, he fits that kind of mold for me of, of like the issues with decision making, the issues with, um, you know, making decisions going back your way that makes sense or even, you know, stuff like forechecking on the penalty kill. You just should never be doing that as a defenseman. Against Jack yeah, exactly. And and a quick word on Jakob Dobesh, the goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens for awesome. the second half. He was he was so entertaining. Like it, yeah. it, it's beyond just being actually good and making some great saves, he was just so entertaining in that just all gas, no breaks on desperation attempts, just throws himself left and right. Um, a bit of flourish on flashing the leather on on a player at one point. I, I missed that 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 flourish and that that kind of entertaining aspect and goal for the Canadians. It's been a while yeah. uh, since we've like seen nineties goaltending a bit. I'd say since prime carry price, we haven't seen something like that. Like, like that level of entertaining quality in net where a, a, a goaltender is making himself the center of attention and like, and, and, and showing flourish and showing flash. I mean, I love that stuff. So yeah, I'm, he's still very athletic and, and very um, technical and extremely explosive on his skates, but 
he needs to calm down in net. I can't lie. I mean, it's, it's a big concern with him. Uh, but that wraps things up for our final segment here for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you like what you've been watching, make sure to like and subscribe and, and leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. If you have any questions, leave them down below. Um, and make sure to tune in for our first episode of the month of October, uh, which should be coming next Monday. This has been Hattie Kalakesh with Sebastian High, and we hope you can do it next time.